Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bccweb.com. Good morning to everybody. We're in this, uh, this series, which is really exciting, Strength and Courage. Why are we looking at this topic, Strength and Courage? I believe we're looking at this topic because God has told us to look at this topic. Um, probably six months ago, uh, the Holy Spirit dropped it in my heart that the church after Easter needs to be strengthening and being equipped in different dimensions. And we are working on, on additional areas of equipping the church as we move forward in this quarter. Um, the As you know, autumn and Christmas are very busy because of all the stuff that goes on at Christmas. And then Easter gets busy. It's like in Britain, everything gets busy between events, doesn't it? And so you've got to take your moments to to really examine and strengthen ourselves. And uh, I felt that this is now the time um, that the Holy Spirit wants to do work in us. And we we are an outward-looking church. By God's grace, the church... Uh, doubled its services uh, last October, and we now in the second service. And some weekends we have three services. Last Sunday we had three, and on occasions even we've had four, which is a, which is a big demand on the church. Um, but by God's grace, we're we're growing uh, stronger. Uh, but we need to make sure that we are truly strong and not just thinking we're strong. And so we intentionally are talking about topics that will make us really think. And this morning we're going to do the same. The theme title for today within this series of Strength and Courage is Looking In to Look Out. Looking In to Look Out. And the Bible does say in numerous places that we should consider yourself. Look at yourself for a little bit. Now we look at God, we put our trust in Him. But sometimes damage gets done in our lives because we don't really, we ignore what's going on on the inside. We, we, we kind of push everything to God and we say, God, sort this out, you know, prayers of rescue. But God, what are, you, uh, what are you doing in my life? But actually, there could be things that we need to just sort out inside first. Uh, and then that repositions us to move forward. Uh, so this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at looking in to look out. Now, as um, was mentioned earlier by Fred in the offering, um, this week's been pretty tragic in Nepal. Uh, very tragic, some very um, sad situations, seems, scenes of crisis and disaster over there with the earthquake. Um, I'm not aware of anybody in our church who is Nepalese, though we have a number of people with Indian heritage. Uh, I myself lived in Nepal was a, when I, with my family as a child. Uh, parents were missionaries. And uh, my first school was Kathmandu, Nepal. And I went through a bit of a crisis once. I fell over in a playground. And it wasn't like our playgrounds here in the UK. It was all stony and dusty and split my forehead open. Ended up getting rushed to a hospital um, up near Tibet or on the road to Tibet. And that was quite a, a shocking experience. As my, I remember being terrified going off to school. I mean, it's bad enough in the UK going to school, I think. Um, but uh, in, in that environment, I remember really my first separation from my parents. was quite, quite a tough thing. But... Um, it's amazing what you look back at and, uh, and remember. Um, but um, it was interesting that this week, uh, we know that thousands of people have died this week, and it's been tragic. You will have noticed that on your e-newsletter that we sent out um, just a reference link, AOG Nationally. We're part of Assemblies of God in the UK, this church, one of near to 600 churches. Uh, AOG have very rapidly put together um, a relief um, contribution program. So we're sending finances out to go into the Christian communities to help the communities in Nepal. Uh, and you can, you can 
give to that if you choose to. Otherwise, if you felt that you, you missed that and you want to this morning, you can at the information point. We'll, we'll gift aid anything you give and we'll get it out to the, the programs. But one of the um, disaster workers out there, an American guy, um, he said it'd been, this week said it had been incredibly tough going because not only are they um, rescuing or trying to rescue survivors, there was one boy of 15, he was rescued after six days, uh, and I'm, I'm hoping they're still recovering people alive, but sadly I guess it's not going to be the case as time has really gone on. But um, it's very dangerous for those working. He said um, the rescuers worked five hours to find this young man of 15, and they heard him and his voice beneath uh, the debris of a collapsed building. The head of um, one of the US teams out there said the operation carries enormous risk to them themselves from these damaged buildings that are continuing to collapse and they don't know if any more tremors or anything else might happen. Um, he said, it's dangerous, it's, but it's what we do. It's dangerous, but it's what we do. Uh, and this guy's a father of three. He said, it's risk versus gain. To save a human life, we will risk almost anything. We will risk almost any anything, in fact, almost everything. And the question is, what would we risk to save a life? And you know where this is going. We are a church of believers. We are Holy Spirit filled. Um, we want to be strong and courageous. And our goal and our commission, our great commission is to reach the lost. And um, it's, it's a thrilling thing when people in this church respond to the gospel. And last year, over 100 people responded to the gospel for the first time. And um, I was looking back at our baptism numbers over the years, and last year was pretty much the highest or equivalent highest of any year we've had of people getting baptised last year. Uh, and there were still more that weren't baptised that got baptised earlier this year. In fact, we were looking at, at our planning, and we're hoping to have another baptism in June. Uh, we will let you know a bit more about that as, as long as the candidates are available. Um, there'll be more people getting baptised this year. So I'm really inspired uh, by what God is doing. But in Nepal, there's 28 million people who live there, and less than 1% are Christians or followers of Christ. Less than 1%. Um, of the 263 people groups, 252 have never even heard the name Jesus Christ. Now, you may feel, well, that doesn't really relate to us in Bromley. We're, you know, people, everyone knows who Jesus is, but actually they don't. Uh, in our community, people don't know very much about Christian faith. They only know what they've seen on TV. Um, someone uh, that I know this week mentioned that they were talking about church, the fact that I'm a pastor, and uh, they didn't understand what the expression was, pastor. They don't know what pastor is. People just don't know. Uh, what, is, what does the church do? And you may be here as someone who's not a follower of Jesus particularly. You're just here for curiosity's sake. Uh, and you're wondering why we do what we do as a church. Well, you're no special or, 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 I mean, this isn't what you do as church necessarily. This is just happens to be what we do as church for the time being until we knock this place down. Amen. <laughs> Who wants to see this place rebuilt and extended? I mean, we're on a journey. I'm telling you, we're on a journey. And, and so that what, I'm, what I believe with all my heart, that's what God's doing. So I might be a bit hard-nosed this morning in a couple of things, but I want to build you up. And I want to get some practicalities in place about what we believe about the kingdom of God and the gospel. But firstly... I want to talk about having a healthy spiritual life. So first slide then, Daniel. Uh, my gratitude to Daniel and the guys, because I made a mistake. I had the wrong biblical text <laughs> in the first service. Mm -hmm. And the really sharp ones spotted it, and the less sharp ones didn't. So it's interesting, because the topic for this text is spiritual dullness, <laughs> which is quite apt, actually. <laughs> but um, let's just read this for a moment. Um, there is uh, much, uh, much more we would like to say about this. Of course, this is the writer to the Hebrews, chapter 5, verses 11 to 14. There is much more we would like to say about this. And what is the this that they're talking about? The this they're talking about is the topic of Jesus, who is the high priest, 
and is ultimately the source of everything we have. Jesus, our high priest and source. That sounds very religious, doesn't it, to have a high priest? Well, God is a righteous God, and the principle of priesthood is a God-given principle. It's an Old Testament um, creation. But the idea doesn't go away just because that's an Old Testament idea. Um, We now in the New Testament believe in the priesthood of all believers. And this church we do. We believe that you have got open access to God yourself. You don't have to come once a year and sacrifice a lamb or a goat or uh, some sort of animal um, at the temple to be made right with God, which is what happened in uh, previous generations and, and is recorded in the Old Testament, the older part of the Bible. Because by God's grace, he's given us Jesus Christ and he has become our sinless, spotless, sacrificial lamb that pays the price for all our sins, past, present and future. Now, that may be overwhelming for you if you've never really heard that language before. But for those of you who do know it, you know what an amazing thing that is, that God has fulfilled all his own righteous requirements by sending Jesus Christ, who died for us. So... There is much more we would like to say about this. So that word, this, encapsulates all of what I've just said. Uh, But it's difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull (laughs) and don't seem to listen. Now remember, this is text, this is scripture that's being written to believers. This isn't people who are, you know, just walking past and just doing their own thing. This is to believers, to followers of Jesus. You have, be, you have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Okay, well, this will keep us all nice and mellow for a few minutes while we talk about this. But spiritual dullness is a really dangerous thing. And the people who are the sufferers of dullness potentially are Christians or people who've been Christians for a long period of time. And that's why this is in the Bible. Because the people who are most vulnerable to being dull are not the people who gave their lives to Christ last year. (laughs) They're not the people who've responded to the gospel this year in the church. They're the people who've been around in our church for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years. Why? Because they know it all. (laughs) They know the kingdom of God. They know all the texts I'm going to preach this morning. You know it all. And because you know it all, you can switch off and you can stop listening. So we are at the most vulnerable because we can switch off from what we should know that God is saying to us through his word. It's a very, very dangerous place to be. And you know what? Nobody in this room will know it except for you. Nobody. Only you will know. But there are certain things that give a hint to all this. Part of the problem with dullness, in the ESV it says, um, dullness of hearing. It elaborates the text slightly. Dullness of hearing. So you don't hear what God is really saying. You hear what you want to hear. Or you hear what you think is important. Or or, or actually you're not listening to the preach or the talk or anything. In fact, you're you're busy thinking about Bank Holiday Monday and playing golf with Fred and... and, uh, you know, or something else, or there could be something overwhelming you, and actually you're just here because this is your pattern of behaviour. It's not because actually you're, you're hoping God is going to open a new door in your life or something. So dullness of hearing, and in the New Living, sorry, New International Version, it says you no longer try to understand, and, and the Greek literally means that you're lazy. So that we are, we are the most dan- in a dangerous place as, as believers. Those who follow Jesus for a number of years, 
are, are the ones who potentially are at the most danger. And uh, at certain times, you know, I wear glasses reluctantly, but I have to, otherwise I can't see paper close up with small print. Um, it's inevitable. I'm most vulnerable to needing glasses when I get to the age I am now. I didn't have that issue a few years ago. I do now. And we just need to know when certain things can happen in our lives. Otherwise, we're not aware of it. So um, that's why this text is written. He says, we ought to be teaching others. But actually, the opposite happens. We end up needing others to teach us. And the trouble is, it's not, they don't even teach us what we already know. They have to teach us the basic things. And I said in the first service, the sad thing about... Well, the, the great thing about babies, and I've noticed that someone in here is very pregnant by the look of things. <laughs> Actually, I've got to be very careful with a comment like that. Uh, I, I'm pretty certain that's true, but I once was on a train with someone and said, when are you due? And they weren't pregnant at all. <laughs> you, I just learned never to make those kind of comments too often. Um, and we, th- we feel for Lucy right now because she's pending, isn't she? Lucy's, we're expecting any day um, something exciting could happen there. Um, but we know when the baby is born, that baby makes most of its noise when it either needs changing or it needs feeding. And babies, by their nature, when they are on, not on solids, but on, on um, those easy-to-swallow foods, they just make an incredible racket when they want the attention of feeding. And, you know, in our church life, we're a bit more sophisticated because we're adults. But if we've been believers for a long time, there's a danger we start to make noises and we need to be fed on the things that make us feel good about ourselves. And we could be really mo- moving away from God's best for us. So, um, and the Bible calls this spiritual milk. But the trouble is, when you're on spiritual milk, you don't know how to do what is right. So you may have been a follower of Jesus for years, but you may not know what is right and what is wrong. You will make the basis of your judgment about right and wrong based on your own opinion in your context and your own thinking. You won't make it based on God's actions. You won't make it based on what God is really doing. You will fill all the blanks in and you will testify and justify your decision making because you think that you're right. When actually you don't know if you're right, you're basing your thoughts on what you have had as experiences. And that's a very dangerous place for mature... Well for Christians who've been following Jesus for a long time. So, so we're just going to address that this morning. We want to have a healthy spiritual life. Why? We want to not be dull. Who wants to be dull? Nobody. Who wants to be sharp? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And there's many sharp people in here. Very many sharp people. And we sharpen each other. You know that. And so we need each other to kind of sharpen each other up. And there's a great atmosphere in our church. People love each other. They love the loss. Everyone's heart's in the right place that I know of. There's, there's some tremendous skills and competencies and God's drawn many excellent people into the life of the church as we've been growing in the last couple of years. And, uh, but just, a, just as really a heads up and a, a word of warning. The trouble with, um, with those who are on milk, they kind of regress. They go backwards. They don't, they, it's not that they never got beyond the point. It's actually that they go backwards. You were on solid food and you've actually gone back to milk which is a really sad situation to be in. And um, what does it say about those who are mature? It says that it takes training for them to develop that maturity. It's training. It's, um, it's a training exercise. Um, they, they have to learn to, to implement what is right and wrong. So as mature believers, when we get to tough decision points, there can be multiple options, and we might inadvertently make the wrong decision. Why? Because actually we're not good at making the right decision at certain points. And we want to be good at making the right decision because as we grow forward, we've got some huge decisions to make in this church, the site, you know, where we put 
our activities, our times, our finances, all those sorts of things. And uh, we've got big decisions to make. So we need to know that we're hearing God. And uh, it says, when we're mature, uh, in, in, in the ESV, we need constant practice to develop the skill of making the right decisions. It's incredible, isn't it? That's for mature people. Um, we need to discern in the ESV, it says, between the difference between right and wrong. Dull people do not recognize good from evil. Wow. So the longer you've been a believer, the, the more chance you've got of being dull and not recognizing what is good and what is not good. So quite a tough thing. Uh, in the ESV, again, it says, the whole heading for this chap- this chap- in this chapter 5 before verse 11, is warning against apostasy. And apostasy is defined as, as not someone who just loses the plot, so to speak. They start to become critical of what they're in, and they actually work against what they believe. What a, that is bad, isn't it? So you can be a follower of Jesus for a number of years, you've, not, you've come off solid food, you're now on milk, and one of the hallmarks of someone on milk is you start to become critical of certain things that you really shouldn't be critical of. And actually you end up working against what God's doing because that's where our faith is based. That is a very, very challenging and dangerous place to be. We don't want to be there and we work hard not to be there. So what do we do? We make sure that we're sharp. And how do we sharpen ourselves? We look to the gospel. It is the power of God to those who are not saved. The gospel, when we take hold of the gospel and make the gospel come alive in our lives and have the courage and strength to take it out of what we know as the familiar into the unfamiliar, we get sharpened. That's why we take mission teams abroad. And in a week's time, we'll be taking, this time next Sunday, a team of 12 will be leaving, six from BCC and six from another church that are now partnering with us, and we'll go to Macedonia. Now, as we go forward, I have got to discuss this with our elders, but part of our discipleship, I believe, should include that the principle that any new believer takes one week out as a minimum and goes on mission abroad just to understand life outside the UK and see what God does in the, the communities and marketplaces outside of what we already know because it will sharpen us up. It's a way of God speaking to us. And uh, um, the trouble is, when, we, when we're not trusting in God's power, we substitute it for something else. And we substitute it for our own rules and regulations we create for ourselves. That's what we do. We do. And so what we can do is we can end up calling ourselves Christians on the bits of paper. You know, what religion are you, Christian? Um, but actually, we've got a whole set of personal rules that actually are a bubble inside a bubble. So we end up living our own created Christian walk. Um, and actually, it's become very dependent on other things. So, um, so we don't want that. We want the real deal, don't we? I, th- I heard a funny thing this week about our girls today. I thought it was an interesting observation. I'm, I have three daughters, none of them would fit into this category. But um, I did think it was quite, quite amusing. Girls today, they wear fake eyelashes, fake fingernails, kilograms of makeup. Um, they wear all sorts of unusual supports in unusual places. They have implants and Botox and a lot of other treatments. And, uh, and yet they still complain they can't find a real man. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah. Anyway, so we want the real deal, don't we? So we want a healthy spiritual life. We want to be resharpened. So we t- need to reflect and look inside for a moment and, and, and realize, actually, I'm not, I'm potentially, if I've been following Jesus for a while, I could be at risk. So I need to sharpen myself up. And that's what we want to do. We want our church to be razor sharp. I mean, razor sharp. 
Um, how do we sharpen ourselves? We, can, we sharpen ourselves with handling the message well. So the next slide. Handling the message, recognizing our challenges. And the Bible puts this three verses there. We won't go into them. You can read them at your own leisure. But God challenges us to get the gospel out, to bring the message to those outside of our immediate world. It's a big challenge. Um, it says that those outside of, our, uh, outside of the kingdom have got God's law written on their hearts and therefore they've got a sense of what is right and wrong. They just don't know how to navigate. And this whole message this morning is about us working with the Holy Spirit to navigate people we encounter. We, we've got to be doing that. It's not about having a Holy Spirit experience in our meetings. It's about us working with the Holy Spirit through the prophetic, through discernment, through helping people make good decisions. You might, I used to find this at work you know, years ago. A, a good, good friend of mine, he was a quite an aggressive boss. He was a director of a, of a very well-known, famous company. And, uh, and I was just a young pup who'd come in as a rookie person in there. And uh, he used to come to me, and over a couple of years, he, he started to ask me for my opinions about certain things. And I thought it was all rather odd, because I was just a teenager. Uh, and yet he was you know, a lot older than me and a lot more experienced. Why was he asking? And I couldn't understand it. I just thought, well, maybe it's because I've got some moral fiber. But I realized that he was, he was helping himself to what was in my life. He was taking advice and guidance off me, if you like, by accident. It was, it was just an overflow and it made a huge difference. And this guy and I, we still see each other from time to time. But it made a, a very, very big impact on his life. And um, it was extraordinary the amount of decisions he changed in our workplace that affected many other people because of what I said to him. And I wasn't trying to, to take advantage of a relationship or anything. It just happened that because God was in me and working in me, I was sharp. I was wanting to share my faith and I was doing it often. I was meeting people in society, community, my friends, um, people I'd bump into, old schoolmates, um, I was only in my teens, 19, 20, that sort of age, um, was frequently sharing my faith and frequently praying for people and people giving their lives to Christ who I'd never met before. Uh, why? Because, because the Spirit of God is living and active. He's active and when He's in your life, you don't have to get everything right, you just have to be you. God's not asking you to be something you're not. He's asking you to be you, but just know that the power comes from Him. So we've got to handle the message well. Next slide. Um, of course, we know we've got to go and make disciples. We've got to work hard to persuade people. But something that stops us is being ashamed of the gospel. Now, you may say, oh, I'm not ashamed of Jesus. Oh, I'm, I'm happy to put, I'm a Christian on a, on a on passport application or on a medical certificate. That's not what we're talking about here. Being ashamed is when you've got a choice in a situation that causes you some cost, where people around you in a circumstance where, it's a bit like Peter when he denied Jesus. Remember when Jesus was arrested? after Gethsemane, even Peter, who was on this rock I will build my church, he denied Jesus. That, that's it. He, you may say, well, he wasn't ashamed, he was frightened. But that's what, what happens. Being ashamed comes from fear. It comes from fear of what people will say. It comes from fear. You know, when I did my first ever job as a teenager, a full-time job, the first thing I thought, I've got to nail my Christian faith to the mast. I've got to. If I don't and not being pompous and arrogant. If I don't nail my colours to the mast, I'll get chewed up by my, my friends. I will, because my peer, the peer pressure will be too much. And so I did. And boy, did I get hack, hacked to pieces verbally by people initially. But you know what? Over time, people started to respect the fact that I had a sense of what is right and wrong. They realised I could navigate. And so when I ended up leaving my first company, when they, by some incredible 
strange situation. They said I could go and visit everybody that I knew in the organisation, just say goodbye to them. This is up in the city, up in London. A number of people, they were just upset by it. They just couldn't understand why. But it was because God was doing something that we can't explain. It's his power working in those circumstances. And you can only do it when you're not ashamed of the gospel. Romans 1, 16, 17 in the ESV. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation. It's, the power of God is not whether we're good speakers. Because the Apostle Paul was a little man. He was bald, hook-nosed, probably bow-legged, and he was not a good communicator. But he had the power of God in his life. So it's not about what you look like. It's not about what you don't have, it's who you are and realising God wants to do everything through you that he can. Uh, he wants to fill you. When you see his power working through you, nothing's going to blunt you. I'm telling you, you'll be as sharp as anything. You'll be listening to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, what are you saying in this situation? What word have you got for me right now? Holy Spirit, what, what is that thought you're dropping into my spirit? Is that something from you or is that just a thought I've got? You know, you get a word of knowledge for someone. These New Testament guys, they were working in the power of the Holy Spirit all the time. There was no downtime, and you know, I'm just going to get on with my gardening for an hour. These guys were living in the power of the Holy Spirit and allowing him to speak to them and through them. And we can do the same. There's nothing stopping us doing that. But they took the writer, well, Paul writing to the Romans says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He goes on to say, for to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Greek, which is the Gentile, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. In other words, God gives us faith to believe and then we take our faith and put it back into God. We, we submit our lives to God. But as mature or experienced or long-term Christians, we can, we can take the faith from God and live in our own bubble. We just block it. We don't go to faith. We don't go from faith to faith. We go from faith. We, we stop. We go, you know what? I'm fine. I, I know where my faith is. I know what I believe. I know, I know that when I die, I'll go the... I'll go to heaven. I know that God has got a mansion for me in, in heaven or whatever your philosophy is about that. But, um, but actually it says go from faith to faith because it's as we serve him, the power of God is manifest not only in the lives of people but in us. And the, it, it's a multiplier. It's a multiplier. We are probably undervaluing ourselves whereas God puts huge value in you. He's given his life for you because he sees what you've got and what your potential is. But we minimize ourselves because something comes in, a fear comes in, and the Bible calls that we become ashamed of what we represent. We mustn't do it. I talked about a film in the first service, one of my favorite films, a 1939 black and white called The Four Feathers. Anyone seen that film? Just a few. I just recommend it. This bank holiday, if it's wet and raining and you don't like golf, get that film out. It's a story of a guy who's accused of being a coward. He's engaged to his fiancée, this guy called Harry Favisham, and um, three of his close friends, they're, they're officers, they go off to fight in the Sudan-Egypt war. And um, it's a story about how he refuses, this guy Harry refuses to go. And there's something on his mind. He's just got engaged, he wants to be married, and he feels it's not really his fight. And there are other things that he needs to focus his life on. But they accuse him of being a coward, and they... And he becomes, you know, there's this whole thing of shame going on around this situation. But in the end, the story is that he, Harry, goes and rescues the lives of the three friends. And um, he systematically returns a white feather to each one of them. And in that, there's a, there's a parallel with Jesus Christ, you know. This might be a secular film, an old black and white film, but, but God does things in secret for us that we never, never know about. You know... God works for us in amazing ways. 
So that film, The Four Feathers, encourage you to watch it. But in the end, he was vindicated, but he paid a price. And um, it's a great film. But Paul was consumed with the gospel. It says in verse uh, 15 of Romans 1 that I'm eager to come and preach the gospel in Rome. I'm eager to come. I'm eager to come. That should be like us. And uh, I I mentioned again this morning about um, a time when I was in Ethiopia teaching some some men and women who'd, who'd become followers of Jesus who lived in Ethiopia, live in Ethiopia, all from a Muslim background. And in this, um, I guess, a barn it was, in, in, in the Rift Valley, in a field, 7 a.m., 20, 25 people got baptised in water that deep, you know, leaky tank. And, um, and then for the next two, two and a half days, myself and another leader, we, we taught these guys. I said, how on earth can I teach men and women who have who are running at an enormous risk to follow Jesus, and yet they're in Muslim communities. And in that group there, the 70 people, there were three or four imams, I think it was four imams. And those guys, the, the price on their life is huge. And, but their commitment and following of Jesus is just, it's just total. And as we spoke, I had two translators. One was a local language translator, and one was the, the national language of Ethiopia, so that both groups could hear. At the, at the end of the couple of days, two and a half days, I just said, who, who just really wants to commit, commit to, to Jesus, to follow him, to serve him and see the power of God in their lives? And these guys rushed out. They just rushed, they leapt out of their seats. And one guy threw himself in the dirt at my feet with his turban on and his, just, I just, I, I, you know, I went to the ground to swallow me. I, I was not qualified for that. But God does things for you and through you when you are sharp. When you want to put yourself where he is working the power of his gospel, he'll do incredible things. And God is doing amazing things across the Middle East. I've said it many times. The power of God is speaking straight into people's lives. And for us, we just need to be willing to be carriers of the message. And the gospel, of course, literally means the good news. The good news about what? Not about the church. So often the church is not good news for some, let me tell you. For some, the church is an absolute disaster. But uh, we know what we mean by the church. We're talking about the ecclesia, New Testament followers of Jesus, the genuine church, those who really are, are serving one another and caring about each other and loving Jesus and putting him first. It's a powerful, powerful engine. That's why Jesus died for us. And that's why he is the one who's creating and building his church. But Jesus died. He rose again. God exalted him to his right hand. Jesus is both Lord and Saviour, and through his death and his resurrection, if we put our trust in him, all our sins, or the penalty for all our sins, is removed. It's an incredible theological statement. It's well defended in Scripture, and we know it. That's what the Gospel is. The Gospel is that God sealed us with his Holy Spirit when we believed in Jesus Christ. He's the only way to God. There is one mediator between man and God, the man, Jesus Christ, who is God. Right? That's it. That's the gospel. There is one media. There is no multi-dimensional, multi-ethnic, all sorts of spiritual wacky-backy type experience out there. There is one way to God. You can't substitute God for your own set of rules and regulations. Um, Paul wrote to many of the New Testament churches about, be careful you don't substitute the truth for a lie because you think it's a better way of doing things. You've got to know what God is really doing. Don't make assumptions about what he's doing. You need to be led by his spirit. You need to sacrifice yourself daily, the Bible says, to follow him. Wow, that's quite a big demanding thing, isn't it? Well, we've all got to do it. I've got to do it. You've got to do it. 
And that's what it is to, to carry the gospel without being ashamed. First uh, Corinthians one eighteen says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved know it's the very power of God. You want to be in God's power? Anybody want to be in God's power? Anyone want to know the power of God absolutely flowing through their veins? Get the word of God in you to the extent that you've got confidence to go and speak to somebody else about it. Get that message out. Don't be ashamed. You will undoubtedly be put in the hot seat from time to time. You will. You'll be just like Peter. Are you a follower of Jesus? You call yourself a Christian? What? And you get in that awkward spot where you've got to defend some wacky person on TV who calls himself a, a Christian and, and they do stupid things. You think, oh, not again. Somebody else is going to let the side down. But the truth is we've got to stand strong, right? So next slide. How do we start? Well, we're motivated by love. Amy Carmichael said, she was a missionary to India in the 1800s. You can always give without loving, but you can never love without giving. You can always give without loving, but you can never love without giving. So we're motivated by love. Just go through each of those points, would you? So we're motivated by love. We're moved through grace because God's shown us his grace. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We had no foreknowledge of what he was going to do. It's everything he did for us before we came along and after we've come along. And we're maintained with trust. We're maintained with trust. Let's have the next slide. But there are personal barriers in our life. You know, Jesus said, do not fear 21 times in the Gospels. It's the most number of times in all the 125 imperatives that he made, do not fear. That's the most, he says that more than anything else. Second only is the expression, love God and love people. So don't fear. Why? Because the power of God's going to work through you. Don't fear. Don't, don't, don't worry about it. Don't be ashamed. If you are feeling like, you know, one of the best things you can do when you're at that point where you're thinking, that little temptation's coming in and you're thinking, oh, this is going to really embarrass me if I say I'm a follower of Jesus. Or, God, did you really want me to go and speak to that person sitting on that bench? Or did you really want me to... I've done all of that in my life. I've, you know, and you probably have as well. But you might give up on it because you're, you're comfortable. You're inside the bubble, inside the bubble. But we've got to be sharp. We've got to be willing to respond as the Spirit speaks to us. We've got to be willing to respond. And, we're main, and then we maintain relationship with people through trust. We create trust. Uh, so those personal barriers of fear, uncertainty and doubt. Will God really use us? Will God really be there? Will God really turn up if I stand for him? You know, you may have to swallow some of your perspective on what God's doing. You may feel, I know what God's doing and what he's not doing, and I'm going to make the call on it. I'm going to affect the whole church by it. You know, if I don't get my way in something, well, then they're wrong. I'm right. I know I'm right because God speaks to me. Well, you might be wrong. What if you're wrong and you, you wreck the church because you've got a perspective that is completely not from God and yet it's different to what you understand in your normal run of things? You know, don't doubt. Anyway, I'm going to do a little exercise now. We've had a, I've had a friendship and a connection with um, an organisation in the UK for many years. It was founded by Helen Cadbury and it was called, it's called Pocket Testament League. In fact, it runs under the title of Bridge Builders in the UK. So you may think, think to yourself, could I ever be someone to, to share my faith with somebody else? Could I ever really respond with, with anything that would help somebody else? Well, you can. So we're going to do a little exercise. I'm going to make you all evangelists. Maybe you think, oh, I'm not an evangelist. I could never be an evangelist. We're going to do a crash course on evangelism right now. So just stand up for a second. You can sit <laughs> Right, okay. Turn to your right. Take your arm and go, here, this is for you. Right, 
That's, that's what you need to be qualified to be an evangelist. You just need to have one of these in your hand, which is a John's Gospel. We're going to take you to the advanced training for evangelists. So turn to your other direction. Take your left hand and say, here, this is for you. That's it. You've done advanced training as evangelists. So please congratulate yourselves now on your, your success. Now, I, I, you know I'm playing around. But these Gospels are available, and we've got loads of them in the lobby of the church. You know, not everyone reads these days, but the Word of God is living and active, and it is in written form, right? And we carry it as, as the Word in our lives. But if you want to anchor someone to the truth, you always need to take them back to the Word of God. You can't just make up answers for people. You need to know what the truth is. But if you can give someone the Gospel of John or, or share a bit of your life with them and the scriptures you're reading, it will make a very big difference. And you can take as many of these as you can carry this morning. We want to get these into our community. They're for you. In fact, if you want more, you can get them free of charge as well online. You can go to the, the Bridge Builders website and just have as many as you like. We give them away. Why do we give them away? Because getting the Gospel into the hands of people in the marketplace, in the high street, in the school playground is a really powerful thing. Because with it, you sharpen yourself up. And if you're sharpening yourself up, you're praying into the situation, you're doing stuff you never imagined. So, if we want to progress into this and we want to be strong and courageous, let's go to our next slide. Hearing the truth and removing uncertainty in people's life. We are people that will navigate others. Our job is to navigate people. Our job is not to preach at people. Our job is to navigate people because people will come to you with questions. Well, if there is a God, why? Now, don't take that as... I don't believe in, in a God, and I don't believe in Jesus. They're just saying, if there is a God, what would he do in a situation? That's all that's, that's, all that's going on here. So many people are spiritually wired. People are into all sorts of spiritual things. I was at a wedding one time. We were at a dear friend's wedding, and at our table, uh, an older couple, they'd been working in the city. I think they were retired. But they, were, they, were, they weren't old, if you know what I mean. They were very active sort of people. And this guy said to me, I, be, I believe there's spiritual stuff out there. He said, I, you know, don't tell anybody this, but I have seen ghosts. And I thought, oh, have you? Where, where have you seen ghosts? He said, well, in my insurance company up in London. He was as normal as you and me, I'm telling you. But he said, I've seen a ghost as clear as day walking along the corridor. And he was a director of his company. And he wasn't drinking too much, and he wasn't overworked, he said, seriously, I've seen them, and I don't tell people this very much. He didn't know, I wasn't even a pastor then, I was just a guy who worked in the commercial world, like many of you, uh, just an ordinary person, just doing my thing, and it's just amazing, and God, in that, in that wedding, we sat there, and the speeches came up, and we were like, consumed in conversation, and this guy said, you know, I, we've seen all sorts of weird things in houses, like poltergeists and stuff like that, and they had, and those things do exist. They're very, very real. But people don't understand why they exist or what their frame of reference is. Come in the church. Welcome man or woman led in the power of the Holy Spirit to give a little guidance. And I said to this guy, I said, well, do you know whether something's good or bad when you see these spiritual things? And he said, well, I've never really thought about it. I said, well, are they good or are they bad? He said, they're just weird. I said, no, no. They're either good or bad. They're either going to build you up or destroy you. Which one is it? He said, well, I don't know. I said, would you like to know where you can find out about it? And he said, yeah, of course I would. I said, well, actually, the Old Testament of the Bible is a great place to find out about the demonic and the New Testament. Really? Yes. 
you know, the prophets in the Old Testament warned against certain behaviours around certain occult practices. Why? Because certain things will happen. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. This guy said, this is really interesting. He said, this conversation went on, the speeches started, we stopped, came back to this thing, and you know, he said to me, have you ever thought of being like full-time doing this? <laughs> I, I said, well... <laughs> but I wrote that down, you know, because actually the Holy Spirit spoke to me that day. And I think it was like a prophetic thing. See, God will use any situation to his glory. And I wrote down, I think God might be calling me into, you know, you may think that's nuts, but I did. I wrote it in my journal. And you know, I was not as experienced as I am now. And I, I said to Liz, I really feel I need to lead those guys to Christ. I need to. Sorry, it's going to happen again. Every time I talk about this, it chokes me up. Not just them, it's just, it's, it's the power of God working in people's lives. I've got to apologise, I was terrible in the first service. As soon as I share a story of someone coming to faith, it just chokes me up because you and I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't say, watch my favourite TV programme and that's the answer. You, you can't. It's got to be God working in people. And when God works in people, he changes everything. He changes everything. And, you know, it says here, navigating others... Go jump through the bullet points. Mark 4, 26, 27, Jesus said, The kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows. God, he's, he'll use you to plant seeds. He'll use somebody else to plant seeds. But if all you're doing is getting opinionated and dull, you know, you might be the critical person in someone's immediate future. Are you going to navigate them to golf or are you going to navigate them to eternity with Jesus? And I'm not messing around with that, you know. But we can get so caught up in the stuff that we favour and forget that God really wants you to be available in your moment when, when he's speaking. Why? Because God's doing stuff through us, around us, in other places. You know, I spoke to Fru this week. and I, Anyway, I spoke to Fru this week. And, and this may be you. You might be in the service today, but people are coming to our church from other churches. And um, Fru didn't tell me who, but it was very interesting that People are saying that they're getting fed here. They're in relationship in other locations, but they come to BCC to get fed. And I thought, well, that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. But it's not just about being fed. It's about being fed and now feeding others. If we, get, if we stop at just being fed, we'll get very happy here. But we need to take that message out. It's organic. And as we plant seeds, let's go to the next slide. We're navigating people. It says... Um, we're navigating people through thresholds of change. That's what's going on here. And it's an organic thing. It says, The earth produces the crops on its own. First a leaf blade pushes through, then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. The harvester is Jesus in this story, and the underlined words on the, on the screen are the various phases. You can just attach these to phases, thresholds that people go through and change. Now there are some that will just hear the gospel and they'll go, that's me. They're just convicted. In fact, in the Islamic world, there are so many people becoming followers of Jesus that human beings are not even involved in the conversation. God is speaking to them by the power of his spirit. I know of 35 to 45,000 right now in Ethiopia where that's happened to them. It's happening in multiple countries. My dear uh, friends at Casa El Dabara Church in Cairo and Pastor Samir is the lead pastor of that church. It's going to be at our AOG conference this Friday, this Thursday, Friday, Saturday. 
leading the most amazing church in the Middle East where, where they are seeing people touched by God's Spirit without human beings being involved. And then what's happening is God is navigating human contact with those people to help guide them through the scriptures and other things. But, but typically what happens is the kingdom of God is organic. So when the seed is planted, it goes through different stages. So you might walk into someone who has never heard Jesus' name in their life apart from to swear by it or something else. You can't just get heavy with those guys. You just need to know where you are in the navigation. So you need to be sharp. You need to be saying, Holy Spirit, what do you, what do you want me to say to this person who's, who's brand new to this conversation? You can't just hit them with righteousness and justification. You'll just swamp them. I mean, a lot of Christians I know don't understand those terms, let alone someone who's never really understood who even Jesus is. So these phases of these um, thresholds are, are very clear. Let's go to the next slide. They are a stage of growth. And each of those five bold lines are different thresholds that people go through. They go from distrust to trust. So we've got to cooperate with the Holy Spirit to help build trust, not to fill them with our theology. You know, you might be a Calvinist, you might be an Arminian. Don't fill them with that stuff. You, know, you just need to know that they trust you because all they've ever heard about is Christians who are untrustworthy. Or they may never have heard of Christians, or they may just think Christians are like the Middle Ages and, and barbaric and, and bigoted, you know. But we're not. We've got to build trust. So we've got to work with the Holy Spirit to build trust so that they're able to, to learn in a safe place from you and your life. Uh, you may want to bring them to church, but it's way too early because trust is something that's more important than coming to church. Um, the next level is they move from complacent thoughts about Jesus and the kingdom to curious thoughts and we are navigating you need to know when is someone curious when they ask you a question have you bothered to read your bible on a topic that they're concerned about we've got to do our work we've got to work with God behind the scenes when we're with people it's not just here's the here's the here's your gospel and walk away it's you may only get that opportunity once but you might be in a situation where we're actually you need to hold this back a while because you need to build trust first and then maybe someone tells you actually they're going through a massive crisis in their life well you know what's in the word of god so you know well actually god promises that if there's fear in your life that he will help take away the fear if you don't know what the direction is i i can pray for you maybe god will show me and help help to direct your path who knows so we work with the Holy Spirit. That third threshold is they become open to change because they're seeing authenticity in your life. It's the most difficult phase. You know, Mark Ritchie, one of my dear friends, is coming to BCC. You know this. I mentioned it maybe a couple of weeks back. But he's going to be here on the 19th of May, and we're already in May. When he comes, Mark is going to do a, a comical evening on a Tuesday night. What an amazing opportunity to have people move from an openness to beginning to change by listening to someone like Mark, who's an evangelist, but he's going he's he's to be in the Edinburgh Fringe Festival this year, and he's preparing material for it. And, you know, I think he's calling it for God's sake. <laughs> but why not? I mean, you know, we know what he means. And then they go from meandering to seeking and crossing thresholds. And um, we're going to make these slides available, by the way, on our internal website or available to you as, as partners in the church um, let's flip to the next slide we have to navigate and I've talked about it so we can skip over that but as we know where people are in this journey this organic development we need to work with them but maybe they're going to get to a place where actually the challenge is needed we need to get people to a place of challenge and it's not battering people it's just saying well do you believe this do you want to make a difference in your life do you want God to, to come into your life? Do you want to follow him? And as you have those conversations, you may need to take people to that next step. And my dear friend, Dr. Dave Bennett, 
uh, has done some extensive research on how people come to faith. And almost without fail, it's a very tiny percentage of people come to faith through either you know, just reading the Bible on their own or some other situation. Almost every time it's because someone close to them challenged them about what they believed. And so we've got to be people who are willing to do it. Supposing our life groups are confident to challenge people about their faith and what do you believe. Well, I've put down some simple things. Next slide. Some simple things that can help us when we're navigating people to that place where they're challenged. There are many scriptures in the Bible about... You see, if you take my list... In fact, put the, put the scriptures up, would you guys? don't know what's happened there. But anyway, those scriptures, Romans 3.23, 1 Peter 3.18, Romans 3.22, Romans 10.9, are all scriptures that are directly pointing to the process of change someone's got to go through when they make a decision and they put their trust in Jesus Christ. So what's the first one? We recognise that we're sinners. If you don't recognise sin in your life, you cannot. It's impossible for you to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Because followers of Jesus Christ start by realising that sin is what is destroying this world and their life. They know that that price for sin has got to be paid for. So when someone gets to that point, they realise sin is real. They realise, well, how am I going to pay the price for that? God needs it sorted. A righteous God needs sin dealt with. Well, the Bible says the only way is to put your trust in Jesus Christ because he pays the price for all our sins. So they need to know that. How can you possibly be a follower of Jesus truly unless you know that? You know, how can you be born again, as the Bible says, without, about, without that conviction in your heart? And then deciding to put your trust in Jesus. You can listen to all the theory you like, but if someone's not prepared to put their trust in him, my sheep know my voice. They hear what I say, they follow me. That's what the Bible says. It's not on this screen. But we know that's from another verse. Will they declare their faith in Jesus? Will they declare their faith? Will they be prepared to give their heart to believing in him? If they're not, they're not born again. If we're going to bring people to a place of personal submission to Jesus Christ, it's not in law, it's in grace. It's a grace thing. When we give our lives to him, when we surrender our lives and say, look, I can't manage it. He's the one who's going to navigate. That's when justification happens. That's when that forensic change from being lost to being found takes place when it's authentic. Now we're just starting a journey of the future. But it's got to come to that point. And if it's not included some of this stuff, then is the person really saved? Or are they just an attender of church? You know, we've had people who gave their lives to Christ last year who've been going to churches in other parts of our borough for years and years and years. And only when they came and heard the gospel for the first time and they realised, I've got to make a decision. And one of those is Ellie. She wouldn't mind me saying, Ellie... Amazing. Ant's fiance, who's getting married this year, or at some point, <laughs> to Ant. It's extraordinary. Realised that that was a point of decision. And this morning in the first service, you know, Ray allowed me to share his story. One of the guys in the church, you know, Chris and Katia. I'm not sure they're here in this service. If they are, I'm sure they won't mind. Chris and Katia came to faith last year. They're getting married in September, by the way. Um, their life is showing all the fruit of change in it. It's an amazing journey. We love them dearly. Well, Chris told his parents. So Ray and Sandra have been coming to BCC 
and Sarah, his sister, came, has been coming to BCC. Well, at Christmas, Sarah gave her life to Jesus Christ. But Ray, the father, has been coming with Sandra every week, first service, and I've been tracking it, knowing that God does things organically. So each week, I've been watching Ray, and occasionally done a salvation call, and Ray put his hand up a couple of times. And um, I said, Ray, are you ready to give your life to Jesus? And Ray said, well, I've still got quite a few questions. Got Ray, no problem. No problem. We'll walk with you. In your time, Ray, when you're ready, it's going to happen again. And it's happened for a few weeks. And Ray, you know, it happened again. I said, Ray, how do you feel? Do you want me to pray with you? Yeah. This time I was being really plucky. I said, you know, Ray, in God's plan, you're already saved. You've already given your life to him. It just hasn't happened yet. You know that. And now, I've never said that to anybody in my life, by the way. And every time I've ever spoken to a lost person, I've never said, you're already saved yet. I said, but God's calling you from your future. You've just got to catch up with what God's doing in your life. That's quite a courageous thing to say to someone who's not even given their life to Christ. And Ray said, yeah, you're right. I'm thinking, what? Or something like that, maybe. Anyway, I said, well, would you let me just pray with you? Because I'm looking forward to that day soon. And he said, yeah, why not? So we prayed together right where Tamsin is sitting. And on Easter Sunday just a couple of weeks back. Ray responded to the gospel. I went and sat down with Ray. Are you ready, Ray? Yes. Do you want to give your life to Christ? Yeah. Let's go to the next slide. So I said, Ray, up the, the, what I prayed with him. I said, you, I, went, I just went through it. I said, Ray, do you believe these things? Yes. Do you want to put your trust in Jesus? Yes. Are you convinced? Yes. Do you want to take the next step? Yes. Do you want to pray with me? Yes. We prayed this prayer and Ray gave his life to Christ. And he's on Alpha. Most of the people who go on Alpha in our church are already Christians. <laughs> it's extraordinary. But isn't it amazing? As we cooperate with God and, the, and what the Holy Spirit's doing, you know, our time's gone this morning. So I'd like, um, Shagan, if you could join me. I want to see more rays in this church, don't you? Yeah. I want to see more rays. There might be rays in this church this morning, by the way. You might be here and you've never actually given your life to Christ. Why don't you stand with me this morning? Maybe you've been in churches for years. Maybe you've, you've heard truth about Jesus, but you've never actually said, today's my day. Maybe today could be your day. But I'll leave that with you. But we know that we want to see many more rays come to faith in this church. Through the life of this church in small groups, through our involvement in the marketplace, on the high street, in our schools and colleges, through the youth, through the children's work, through the camps, through the programs. We want people everywhere to hear the gospel of truth. And we've got to carry it though. There isn't anybody else. It's you. It's you. Don't be blunt. Be sharp. Get the gospel in your life and get that gospel working. Allow God to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. You know, I'm sure if I said to you, who in this room has got people that they know that just don't know yet the truth of Jesus Christ? And if I said, put your hands up, I think most of the room would put their hands up. So I know that we're on the same page. You're great, great people. 